Um, welcome back to the show, guys. And today we're going to be talking about black tax and its um, its place in the African context, um, in African culture. Sorry, and um, I have two special guests today, uh, Sharon and Shelton. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. Um, but yeah, ladies first, Shaz, you introduce yourself. Oh, that's great. Hi, my name is Sharon. I'm glad to be back. Ah, no, <laughs> yeah, last time I gave y'all a really long intro. Hi, my name is Sharon. I'm a Zimbabwean girl. <laughs> yeah, but last, last, the, the last time, the last time we talked, you didn't have a law degree, and now you do. Oh, oh, my bad. I'm sorry. You I'm know. Brag or whatever. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sharon. I have a law degree, and yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting, yeah, man. Uh, that's cool, man. Congratulations on that, eh? Um, yeah, Shaz is back on the show again. Um, I think you remember her from the topic of the nobility. So she's back, and um, I really we needed to have her back on season two. So, yeah, she's back. And we have Shelton. Shelton. Hi, my name is Shelton. I'm back again. Yeah. Um, I'm a Zimbabwean based in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yours, yours is just ending off. Like, yes, it just gives me, like, the no, bare minimum. The audience should just know us by now. Honestly. They should know you by now, yeah? No, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, man. Now, guys, it's good to have you guys back. And, um, like, we really had interesting conversations. Shaz, I feel like you had the most listeners um, ever on the show. Like, I think you reached no about. Way. You reached about 300, 300, 400, close to 400 oh, listeners. That's so, nice. so, like, you had to come back, obviously. And I love it. Yeah, Shelton, we, 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 we did a really good show recently. Um, Shelton, we ended uh, season one together. Uh, he was like the last guest I had. So, it's, it's good to have you back, bro. So, today we're talking about black tax. And I want to hear from you guys quickly black tax and what? But mainly mm-hmm. focusing on black tax. Uh, because we need the world to understand what black tax is because I have listeners in Europe like I feel like I have a lot of listeners in Europe surprisingly so yeah. I have a lot of listeners here and, and this is something that everyone talks about and it's always talked about but we not, not everyone really understands what it is so we want to break yeah. it down and talk about it and hear your guys' perspective of what black tax is okay so let's start there what is black tax? Sharon do you want to start? Um, yeah sure I think it's really common in African households Mm. Um, and it's this conception that when a black young person finally gets into the professional field, maybe they're done with uni, they have a job, they have a good salary, um, instead of using that money for their own purposes, they end up having to put that money into supporting their family. So um, why we call it black tax, I think is because I would want to say, I think it has a really long history, right? Black people have been always one step behind in most conversations. Mm. Um, So we enter into this world of university, into this world of, you know, professionalism, one step behind. Our parents don't have uni degrees. Some of us are first generation uni holders, uni degree holders, or first generation um, in an actual professional setting. 
So we end up having to use that money to support our family, to build a house for our parents, to buy them a car, to pay school fees for our siblings. And, you know, it's, mm. it's like a tax. It's honestly. a tax. Um, yeah, I think that's what I have to say for it. Okay. Uh, um, Shelton, do you want to give us um, like an idea of how it originated? Or what do you think like the origin the origins of black tax would, would be from? Tax. From your perspective, I don't think it's. I don't think it's something that you know you're told. Hey, when you when you're done, you need to take care of me and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I know your parents do say that, but it's more so on. It's something that's built in us. You know, they don't uh, say verbally, mm-hmm. but you hear things like. Oh, uh, we're working hard for you. You better not forget us when you get old. You know, and yes. yeah. even when you when you when you do make it, you know, you feel obliged to help you know family members that are doing far less than you are, right? And I do think it's it's one of the reasons why it's difficult for us as black people to build generational wealth. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's um, link to Ubuntu, Sharon. From uh, what, from what, from what Shota said. Really good question. Um, I do. Yeah. I, okay. First of all, maybe for your listeners that aren't really familiar with the concept of Ubuntu, mm. it basically is an idea of communitarianism, where community. Right? Yeah. It comes from this. I think the statement. Ubuntu ngabantu. Yeah. A person is a person because of other people. Yes. Right. So. As Africans, we are naturally very community-centered people. Mm. Um, even like the way that we greet each other in different languages. If I say to you, you know, mamkase or marara say, you'll say ndarara kana marara, which is basically I slept well. If you all slept well, right? Yeah. So I think Ubuntu is is really ingrained in a lot of aspects of our lives, and I would say it's a big factor in this black tax thing. Mm. Um, naturally we just want to make sure that everyone around us is doing okay yeah and if you have a great salary and you've come out of the ghetto or whatever situation you were in out of poverty and you're thriving but your family is still suffering and struggling and especially if your parents have made sacrifices for you um ubuntu kind of says that's a little bit off that's that's not really how we work yeah um but i'm not saying it's all Black tax is all completely good. Yeah, you know? and I agree. But yeah, I would say Ubuntu plays a plays a role. Plays a role. I agree with you because, like, if you look at it across the entire African continent, Ubuntu has different phrases to it. I mean, I think around Tanzania they call it uh, Ujama. Um, mm. um, like, and you understand that the idea of communitarianism has been there for a while, and it's not just a Southern yeah. African or Zimbabwean thing or South African thing. It is across the entire continent that we must come together as a community and you know always look out for each other. Um, Bic, you mentioned something, um, and I want to ask you: Do you feel like uh, you said that it's not explicitly said to us? Uh, but do you feel like th- there's a duty? Like, do you do you feel like there's a duty placed on us to 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 kind of give back? Yes, um, I think it's. Uh an implied duty um, right we when we when we grew up we saw our parents you know taking care of 
you know, and Abambini, mm-hmm. you know, their brothers, sisters, mm-hmm. and even distant relatives, right? Yeah. And then when we, we make it, you you hear, you know, a distant relative say, hey, I'm, re- I'm really struggling here. Can you help me out, right? And yeah. I think it's, it comes back to um, morality, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you don't want to help out, you know, there's still this thing inside you that's like, hey, but I've got an extra $50. I might as well just give it to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Even if I'm struggling at the moment, I've got a higher chance of getting more money than they, they mm-hmm. do, you know? Mm-hmm. And ending to, to watch him uh, say, yeah, in Australia, you see not just African communities, but even Indian communities, you know, they have this togetherness that they have, right? And mm-hmm. as as they progress in life, they, they maintain that. It's the same for us as, as Africans, you know? Um, I think there's a saying that says, you know, when we gather together in the Moonlight Village ground, it is not because of the mood. Every man can see it in his own compound. We come together because it is good, right? Mm. So because of that, you always want to see your family members doing well. You want to see the people you grew up with doing well. Yeah. So without it being said to our face, we are obliged to help in some way. Yeah, I guess you. I guess you. And now that you bring it up, you said the number Nini and stuff. Do you think the idea of black tax um, has an effect on how we view family? I mean, this is an open question. Sharon or Beck, you either one can answer that. Sharon, you want to go first? Um, let me think about it. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, think about it. <laughs> I think it does, hey. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that us as black people see family, like I laugh at uh, most of my friends in uni, you know, um, and they tell me, hey, um, my my uncle died. I'm like, oh, so you're not going to the funeral? I'm like, well, no, nah, I wasn't close with them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're really cold. But anyway, for us, when a distant relative passes away, we go there. Yeah. It's the same when they're struggling, you know, we, we try and help them. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad when, you know, you help a relative and now all of a sudden they think you, you know, money falls from a tree and they can always get help from you every time. I, I hear you. I mean, you, you just said something that's quite interesting. Sean, I'll get back to you. You just said, like, every time someone is, someone is in trouble, we'll help them. Is it still the same now? Because I feel like, honestly, it's not, it's not really the same in our generation as it was back then. Because now, like, people, I feel like people have become more woke, for lack of a better term, that, you know, like, sometimes we're a bit distant to, like, anana you know like <laughs> your uncle's uncle's uncle like you really want to help like now you, you'd find that you won't even attend that funeral of like you know just maybe your father will go your mother will go but you won't especially go there because you're not really in that close connection like if I feel like your parents feel, feel like they have a duty to go there but you don't really have a duty because you probably don't know them like that you know um, that's true hey? um, for our parents they grew up with these people 
Yeah. Whereas we see these people maybe during the holidays, mm. right? And now that we are all out of Zimbabwe in uni and whatnot, we there's no close connection to them. You know, yeah. um, our relationship with these people is not on a personal level. It's more of, you know, yes, they are relatives, but most of the things that go on in their lives, we only know because, you know, mom told us this or dad told us this, mm. not because we ourselves are in close contact with them. So it's easier for us to then say, Meh, I can help you, right? Mm. <laughs> you know, that it was for, for our parents. Yeah. So in a way, I think it's different. Not that we woke. Yeah, maybe we are. Uh, I think it's more of uh, just understanding that sometimes you need to be a bit selfish when it comes to helping people. True. True. Uh, Shaz, you had said you don't think yeah. about it. Um, yeah, I just want to um, add to what Shelton has just said, especially about the wokeness. Mm-hmm. I think it's not just us that might be getting woke in quotes, but I'm sure there might be some parents, and I'd be really interested to know if any of your listeners are parents. Um, I, I think there are some parents whose dynamics are changing a little bit mm. who do openly tell their kids like, yo, I want you to build for yourselves. Don't yeah. feel obliged or compelled to have to pull back into me or pull back into our family. Mm. I think we're slowly getting there. Um, my question only becomes, does that mean we are sort of moving away from the content of Ubuntu by becoming woke? how do we even balance you know this new age generation of empowered black people mm. versus the ubuntu um philosophy that has for many years sort of been the foundation of our families and our families before then and you know stuff like that mm. so yeah i guess you i guess you but now it also brings me to ask how far should black tax extend like do you feel like you have an obligation to take care of your grandmother's um, sister's daughter? You know, just that extension. The extent, like after the first, yeah. the first line of cousins. Like, do you feel there's a need? I personally, um, I'm not sure because <laughs> I've never <laughs> been in that situation before. Yeah. But I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. I've seen family dynamics where a person a distant cousin of a stepfather from another aunt <laughs> mm. pouring into someone that they naturally wouldn't speak to, someone who's so far removed from them, but they're connected. They're, it's like we're an extension of each other. And I yeah. think that's where it kind of gets a little bit complicated. I've seen people do that. But for me personally, huh, I don't want to say anything incriminating <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sharon Akat <laughs> yeah. I don't know y'all ask, ask Shelton that maybe he has a different answer <laughs> Shelton give me a teasers bro uh, I don't think I have a different answer it's, it's more or less the same eh? mm. um, I do help out uh, with the people that I'm close to and some that I know if I can Yeah. Uh, not because I must but because you know I want to mm. and <laughs> if, if I can't help you out it's not because I I don't know you or because you know I hate you but sometimes you know now that we, we grow 
we also have things to take care of. You know, yeah. We've got bills to take care of, we've got fees and whatnot. So, yes, it's good that um, we can do this, uh, we can help them out, but it's not a must. Yeah. I'm not for making sense. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it really should come from your own willingness. Yeah. And if you have the means and you're willing to, then go for it. I think, yeah, but, charity but, does work that I way. I mean, too. Not, not that you say it has to come from your willingness. How do you react to family members who don't understand the situation that you're in? Like, for example, mm. you you go and say no, and I can't help you in this. Then uh, How do you deal with that? I that's a really good question. I think um, our cultures, mm. is, and I'll speak personally from my experience with the Shona culture. Sometimes we don't create boundaries because we have this utmost respect for the people around us especially if they're older or their moms aunts everyone every aunt is a mom to you every uncle is a dad to you Mm. so it kind of becomes really difficult to create those boundaries but i think it's also necessary to Mm. be able to communicate that look i can't help you right now um, if you are willing, you say, when I do get the chance, I will help you. But yeah. I, I think we have to start learning how to create boundaries, um, which might, you might then be that rebel kid, like oh, Sharon is that rebel who she, she thinks she's all that, you know, but it's, it's necessary to, to be able to maintain healthy relationships without breeding resentment. Mm. Um, yeah. But the, the thing is now people don't understand that. Like. That's that's very profound, actually. Hey, Maoko. <laughs> um, you know, people then don't understand that that the need for boundaries because I mean, we're looking at it from a family perspective. If you try create boundaries, Sharon, again, it goes back to the point. The only Sharon and I should above a Do you understand? Like, you wanna be above everyone. Like, as much as we want to create boundaries, our families don't accept those boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's it's very. I don't know if Shelton has anything to say about that. Uh, not really. I think uh, you you say that in in the best possible way. Eh? Mm. Uh, and I think when it comes to boundaries, it's just not a family, even friends. Sometimes, True. you know, um, we get to a point where you you are the helping friend. Right, and when you need help, nobody's there to help, to help you. Yeah. Or, you know, you help people out all the time. The one time that you tell them no, <laughs> you're like the worst person ever, right? But with um, knowing where you stand as a person, that shouldn't affect who you are as a person. You help people when you can. If you cannot, I mean, yes, they can say you're a bad person, but that's about it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, and I think I understand. Yes, they can say it, but you know, it's it's even something hard to deal with. But I, I think it's something I have to come overcome as well. You know, um, I've come to understand that not everyone has a duty. Like, not everyone has a duty to assist you later on. You know, um, I've I've learned to appreciate that. Even if you like, let's just say for example, uh, you shot and you can help someone now, but I don't think I think you as the giver. You must not expect something in return because you always be disappointed. That's the first thing. You're always going to be guaranteed disappointment. But at the same time, um, I feel like the person who's also being given must acknowledge that one day, you know, it won't be tacitly said, but 
sometimes if when the time comes that you a person also asks you for assistance you must put in the effort to actually kind of assist them because when you were in a certain situation they uh took the time out to help you you know so it's, it's a give and take situation that must be reciprocal but at the same time there needs to be boundaries between um that give and take if you get what i mean yeah yeah so these um, are really important because at the end of the day you might end up overextending yourself stressing yourself mm. um and and just growing really resentment towards resentful towards these people and i yeah. don't think you want to find yourself in that situation you, you so really don't, yeah you know um, you, you pick your battles yeah you should actually i agree with you um so i want to ask now i mean going back a bit um why call it black tax like why does it lean more towards the black people? I mean, I know we answered it a bit, but I want to ask you as a direct question, you know. Like, why should we lean more towards calling it black tax? Why not call it white tax or yellow tax or whatever, you know, whatever races there are available. Like, why not call it that? Why lean towards black tax? Because surely other, uh, we can argue the whole idea of communitarianism, but surely other societies, other, um, uh, what's it called? Other societies also practice uh, communitarianism as well, but why call it black tax? Um, Shelton, do you want to go first? You want to call it yellow tax? <laughs> <laughs> um, from my experience, um, black tax, I think mainly because it's us black people who who are expected to, you know, to help family members. Uh, as I said before, I work white friends and they really don't give a shit about the extended family. Mm. <laughs> right? And sometimes it's even sad because there are some who don't even really care for their parents, you know? Yeah. You have people who are well off, but the mom is in a nursing home. And, you know, it's a situation that you look at and you're like, oh, that's bad. That's bad, yeah. You know, so black text, because mainly black people and possibly. Uh, some Asians, you know, uh, people who are affected by this um, more than any other races, eh? Yeah, I agree with you. Shaz? Yeah, I think also, um, I don't know, I, 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 I'm not white, so I can't speak for them, but I think in their circles, they have more freedom to sort of use their own wealth at their own will, mm. and they put it forward they invest, they um, use it for their own wealth generation, mm. you know, whereas for us, it, it's very rare for us to use our own money independently and invest it and build generational wealth. Um, instead, it's, it's, I think it's very common for us that we end up having to naturally start using this money to support our families and i i think that distinction i want to say that it's it could be linked in colonialism but i don't want to get that far you don't get that far yeah the fact that we have stuff like um affirmative action that on its own is trying to redress a particular wrong that was done Mm -hmm. which set black people back a lot and one of those things that set us back a lot also finds itself in this black tax situation so i think it it has that racial connotation because our history naturally is linked to this particular practice mm. profound profound that's um, true um yeah 
That's true, Ted. Uh, can I add also to, to what you said? Um, it, it also uh, touches on financial management and wealth creation. Our financial literacy as black people, I think, is a bit below that of uh, the next race, eh? Um, if we understand how to manage money as a people, it's easier for us to, you know, to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. But often the people that we help with money, they end up using it for the wrong things, you know. I've been in situations where I help a family member out. They say, oh, I need fees for my kids and whatnot, right? Say they ask for 800 bucks. I give them a thousand or even more than that, right? Mm-hmm. They then go pay the money for fees and then the rest they spend it. Instead of, you know, investing, starting a project, you know, you start, you know, a chicken business. You do 100 chickens, you sell them, you make money. Now you're self-sufficient. Yeah. But no, we go for booze. <laughs> you see, so I think it, it touches on... on, on um, financial literacy as well mm-hmm. and that's a really good point can I interject there um, yeah. I think it's two things that I've sort of gotten from what he's just said one is the idea that we suck at financial management Yeah. and the question is when it comes to other races are their parents teaching them how to manage money is there financial literacy going on being passed down from parents to child from parent to child um, if there is, then they want to step ahead because our parents, our grandparents can't really teach us about financial literacy when they never really had money like that. Mm. Um, and you could argue that you know, you don't need money to, to have financial literacy. But it's I saw this one, I think his name is Grant Cardone. He's yeah. written many books. He tweeted the other day that rich people invest money, poor people spend money. And I thought that was really tone deaf because poor people don't have time to be investing money to eat next year. We need to eat now, you know what I mean? Mm. So the financial literacy bit, it's really difficult for us to even have that because we don't have the money, which is why we're having to support each other so much. And the second thing that Charlton mentioned was, oh yeah, the idea that you can give money to your family um, they will maybe use the part of the money for a school and then use the rest for booze or whatever and that was interesting to me because my question is do we get to choose what they use the money for um, because we're the ones with the power or with the money in our hands or do we just give them and not care what they do with that sort of black tax that we're paying mm. you know I mean look Anna, Anna just did back before I, I, I respond to this part again. Anna, like, tried back a bit what you just said about uh, Grant Cardone. Grant, he introduced the whole 10x plan, all these things, and he's a brilliant. But I feel like it's very um, ignorant to not acknowledge a person's situation. Um, and I feel like, you know, like when I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people, and it makes me think, um, for example, the reason why. Um, black people don't plan ahead is because of the situation that we have been through uh, throughout history. For example, just the the geographical location of Africa itself uh, doesn't allow for planning ahead because we can, we can, we can, we can plant, we can, we can, um, 
what's it called we can plant um maize the whole year we can plant we, we have the ability to grow crops the entire year right so we have no need to store for next year because we have we have the ability like you know to do these things throughout the year you get so there's never been a need for us to plan ahead and that became psychological as well um mm. back in the day right and if you look at europe europe they only have a se- maybe this is a one month season to actually grow the amount of crops that they need to last them for the next uh, for the next year or two years right because they don't have enough time so they've been forced to plan ahead and even look for ways to maximize on output uh for example uh you look at gmos right those came around for a reason because they have to maximize as much as they can during that planting period that they have they have to maximize um um on on the on on the time period that they have right so they have to plan ahead and that jumped in now into their finances into their um their well-being as well like you know now they they're like we have to build generational wealth because we have a limited time to do certain things right now i'm not justifying black people and why we have this mentality but i'm just trying to get people to understand the reason why certain things have been the way they are so now you look at it right and you see a black family right they have the ability to grow their crops the whole year they don't need to plan ahead because it's uh, and i feel like in our culture because why why do you want to make more than what you have already do you get um yeah. and now it's not a it's it's it's, it's, not, it's that that mentality is no longer applicable to us because we live in a different era but we must understand that that's where it originated like as much as we can blame colonial colonialism and all these things there is another thing that 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 shows good this is where uh we originate from you know so yeah, yeah i understand what you're saying there that's a really good point yeah um, that's a very good point you know um talking about um you know spending uh what you've got and knowing that you know you can always get more is also one of the reasons why i think even uh as young adults we end up in debt and in in need of financial assistance when mm-hmm. for example when i started working i helped spend money like crazy man. Mm. right because yeah you know i'm gonna get more money in the next two weeks yeah you know um but now more than ever it's a time where you need to start saving if you can do more today it's good do more today save up right and then when the time comes for you to do the exact same thing again, go ahead and do it, mm-hmm. right? And also, it comes back to knowledge and information, you know? So, for example, we used to do subsistence farming back in, uh, in the rural areas, you know? Mm-hmm. Do people have the knowledge that you can do drip irrigation from the dam that's right behind your house? Do they are they willing to put in the work to do that, right? So I think the challenge is if you if we want to make progress as as a people, right? I think one we've got to have the confidence to go after what we want. Mm. Two, we've got to have the humility to accept where we are as a people right now. Mm-hmm. And three, are we willing to build the skills that you know that bridge the gap between number one and number two? Yeah. So if we can do that in terms of either funding, uh, investing, mining, anything that is worth doing, I think we can improve. Of course, I agree with you. That's really good. Yeah, that's oh. a, 
Yeah, that's true. Especially as Muruti Pama Wades, guys. Yeah, the dropping wisdom on us, left, right, and center, man. Yeah, but um, I, I, I really agree with you guys there. Um, um, so can I ask you a question now? Does I mean again? I know we've we've kind of dropped into it as well, like you know, passively. But I want to act. I want to ask you directly again. Do you think that um, black tax has an effect on the person who's being taxed? Absolutely. Mm. Is it positive or negative? You were saying? Is it positive or negative? Um, I think right off the bat, for me, it can be quite negative. Mm. Especially if you are looking to build generational wealth for yourself. Um, and to be able to stand on your own two feet and build for your children and their children you know and so on and so forth i think it's very rare that we find in black families where it's like you hear your friend saying oh i inherited this and this from my mom right who she inherited it from her mom and such and such we don't really hear stuff like that and i think that's because we're so busy instead of inheriting we're paying it backwards yeah um and so it sets us back we we and, and like to touch on what Sheldon said, we now no longer look for knowledge in terms of how do I invest money, what do I do with my money so that I can build it because we're so busy sending it backwards, mm. um, and sometimes it's very difficult for you to gain a theory from reading all these lovely books, all these financial literacy books, but not have the means to practically apply the lessons that you're learning. Mm. You don't have those means because you're using that money to pay school fees for your siblings, mm-hmm. um, to build a house for your parents, you know, to in- put install drip irrigation at your grandma's house and make sure that the river that she's living nearby is not going to waste, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, such that you end up having to you end up starting really late in your life to build generational wealth and I think that can really even affect your own family if you start to have kids or get a wife and I don't know if if it's true but my theory is that a lot of black people end up marrying really late and getting kids really late because we don't have the money early within our 20s or even in our 30s to use into like getting into a marriage we're just too busy putting that money into our families whereas white people are like yo i'm free i'm 21 i have my own money i have my own job i don't have to pay back my parents Mm. i have enough money to start a family now and and they start their families really early so yeah yeah, i think that's sort of right off the bat what i have yeah Sultan. that's that's very true sharon um i think it it can have both uh positive and negative uh, effects i think uh sharon exhausted the negative effects on the positive side if i help a family member start a project right uh, and they do well in that project it means one family off my back right which is good but how often we get people who actually do what they said they were going to use the money they're asking for yeah yeah this is very well yeah i think that's it and also i think another issue that comes with uh black tax if you also see this in uh in terms of government right you see in australia here there's what they call centrelink which is social security Mm. right Uh, people my age in class they'll be like oh so what you doing you know this uh this weekend 
so we can link up. I'll be like, hey, I've got to go to work. You know, I've got to pick up a shift. I've got to go and hustle. Right? And they look at you like, why are you working so hard? Right? But they get Centrelink from the taxpayers' money. They get uh, enough money to do whatever they want to do. Their fees is paid, you know, student debt and all that. Whereas for us as black people, we we don't have the luxury of getting social security. Right? So can we as a people say, right, can we get our government in order? So that at the very least the family members that cannot afford to go to work, they can get social benefits. Right. You know, they can get support from the government. That way, those of us who are hustling and, you know, doing this and that to get the next dollar can then build our assets. We can then build our wealth for from the money that we're making working for mm. instead of us helping the people that the government can help, you know? Mm. Very mm. true. That's good. Very true, very true. Um it kind of brings me back to this conversation that I had recently and it also got me thinking the situation where sometimes in regards to our dreams even, you know, we're looking at it from um, a different perspective now because, for example, um, let's talk about presidency. If you want to be president right now, um, chances are of you becoming president are between the age of 70, 60, 70, 80, right? That's the age. But then the legal age to become president is 45, right? Um, and then you look at it and you ask yourself, that means that my goals to become president have to be around when I'm, when I'm 70. I can't aim to be president when I'm this young because it's impossible. Uh, that, that privilege is now given to my father who is approaching that age, you know? So it goes back again. Like if you go to the first world countries, even South Africa itself, you can find a CEO who's 25 because the government allows for that age to actually like, you know, take part in, in, in the economy. But then in Zimbabwe, you go back, you can't be a CEO of any company because that is now your father's dream. You, you, that is now your father's place in society to become 20, to, to become a CEO. And now it's pushing the age for you to become a CEO. You have to, you have to be around 45, 50, that age, you know? So it now affects, you know, how, how we do our things, how, how we dream, even how our ambitions are set because we have to give way for our father's dreams. So it's basically us having to um, wait for our turn and probably our turn will never come because I will get married at 31. That's when I can start my family. I don't have the privilege of getting married. Like what Shan said, I don't have the privilege of getting married at, at 21 or 25 because I have to pave the way for certain things to happen between that time. So a lot of things are shifting and and you know Becky just mentioned as well but I wanted to ask you whilst you were speaking who we, who do we blame for 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 that setup for that social setup that is is it is abnormal uh, in a first world country but it's becoming the norm in third world countries how do you who do you blame for that or should we blame anyone for it actually <laughs> I don't I don't like playing uh, blamed it mm you know, I blame the next person. We give over how our life came 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 out, you know. Whereas if we take uh, responsibility for everything that goes on in our lives, we are then able to change anything that we are not happy with. So for example, uh, you often you often hear people say, Oh, because of the, the Rhodesian regime, this is why such and such is happening in 
how many generations is that right so can we take responsibility and say all right we are here today okay how do we change as a people as a government how do we change uh, our fortunes how do we make life better mm-hmm. for our residents you know but because we we don't like taking accountability and responsibility for anything we are always looking for a scapegoat right and, and you see if we continue on that track we're likely to keep falling down uh, as, as, as a people. Yeah. So since you sort of want to get into politics, I think it's, it's good that, you know, we have a change of a mindset of saying, instead of playing victim, we, we have the power to change our world, mm. right? If we blame the white, white people for everything bad that's happening in Zimbabwe, they are living their lives the way they want to. It's so yes, we acknowledge that white people did A, B, C, and D. But what can we as a people do now to help change the future for our kids and their kids as well? Yeah, I hear you. Shaz? Yeah, I want to touch on the accountability slash responsibility point that he made because I think it's very important and while on a governmental level um, you find that governments tend to not want to take accountability for any of their actions you know it's usually i, I read somewhere on twitter um hope old Chimono had posted like this tweet saying that the government had blamed sanctions for the low pass rate i think it was for grade sevens and i was like that on itself that on its own is like the government failing once again to take responsibility for its own actions and it's not just at governmental level even as individuals mm-hmm. we struggle to take accountability for our own lives to be like oh i can't make it because you know there's no csr so i can't i can't do the work but you can wake up in the middle of the night and do the work that you need to do you know what i mean Sheldon could be in australia thinking yeah you know i can't really I can't make any money, you know, things are tough, I'm a student, but he's working on the weekends. That's taking responsibility for yourself. So it's not just on a major level. We all struggle to take accountability, but we have to, and we have to start with ourselves. If you can't take accountability for yourself, then it's gonna be very difficult for you to run a country or to run a household because it will just continue to always be blame shifting, blame shifting, the more you progress in your life. Mm. So yeah, we, we need to check that accountability bit for ourselves. Okay, cool. I hear you, man. Um, now I want to ask you something again. So, we, we, they, not everyone suffers from black tax. Not every black person, you know, suffers from black tax. Um, I mean, you have the rich kids who are there as well. Do you think the fact that they don't have that burden kind of affects their mindset? Like, do you do you think it makes them lazy, especially in the Zimbabwean context? No. No, I don't. Yeah, I think it's. I think especially for people coming from low-income households, mm-hmm. people who are coming from poorer households, people who aren't coming from these really rich and lavish households, we need to understand that just because you are a hard worker doesn't mean there are rich kids that also aren't hardworking. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we end up being so entitled because we're like, oh no, this 
such and such politician's child can't be making it because they're rich but it's like they work equally as hard and sometimes mm. we forget that mm. um there are some who are who work hard who are taught hard-working principles who themselves have ambition and there are others who are also lazy and that's not a thing that's only particular to rich households you'll find the same in poor households, poor households too. Well, you yeah. have some hard-working kids and you also have some lazy kids too mm. um but the kids in those rich households definitely do have an upper hand um it's also up to them to take responsibility and choose whether or not they want to continue to invest whatever wealth they have whatever means they have to take whatever opportunities they have to do even greater than they than they have at that moment but i will say i think it's also really common in 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 poorer households just people who are a lot more ambitious because you're really trying to get out of the struggle so yeah yeah there might be that contrast i hear you i hear you that's that's actually true i mean i think we should really change our per- our perspective towards that because i'm always hearing like these chats as well but at the same time i feel like i also could have had that view as well you know um but you look at it and you say look it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor ambition is still ambition right um Yes, you have. I, I, I think there's an analogy uh, from back in the day where it's a 100-meter race, right? But this was very... It was more of a racial aspect. Which black people start behind because they have more things holding them back than white people. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have the right ambition, the right drive, um, you can actually also catch up in the race of life or you can even beat the person who started ahead. You know, like it's... I think we should remove the element of competition from uh, whatever we do and try and move forward from there, you know. And surely, like, you know, the the race becomes easier if you if you stay in your lane um, <laughs> for, for yeah. you know, so, yeah. Um, um, I, I get can I that. just comment on that, though? Yeah. Um, that analogy that you just made about the race and mm. black people being behind, being set back because there's things that are holding them back. Mm. I think we also have to look at the di- dynamics within those black people. There are black females who are held even further back, further back yeah. than their black male counterparts. Mm. Um, and in front of them are white females and white people who are also doing so much better. I think if you are in a position of power you are in a position of influence there's an obligation on you to make sure that you break down barriers with the power that you have to ensure equal access and opportunity for people who are being held back mm-hmm. um if you are a black black young king okay in your family and you have sisters you want to make sure those kids go to school too yeah um because without empowering each other it's really difficult to to play on a field that's not level, that's not level. And, and that's the truth for black people we are one step behind in the race but remember that black girls are even one step further, further back yeah. um, so whenever you are in a position of influence or in a position of power you have an obligation to make sure you break down barriers yeah. to ensure access for those people that are behind you yeah that's true um, you know I want to I want to touch on what um, you just can said can I also add to to what you just said yeah uh, one competition is always going to be there. Unfortunately, uh, I think you, we, we will do ourselves justice if we change how we look at it. Mm. Okay, I'm in competition with myself because I'm the only person who's constant throughout my life, right? Yeah. 
I can be in a competition with Tino, but it's only for a final period. If I compete with Tino, yet Tino has an advantage of me, I feel like I'll, I'm doing less than Tino is, right? And if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I compare myself to somebody who's doing less than I am, I feel like, you know, I'm doing very good and I won't put in enough effort to keep going, right? And then the other thing is, where we start, we don't have control over that. But we've got control over where we, we end up. Yeah. Right? Yes, you come from a poor family. Yes, your father is absent. Yes, your mother, this and that. But ultimately, you've got the power to change it. There are ceilings everywhere, especially for black women. Right? But unfortunately, all men are not created equal nor do they live equally and they certainly will not die equally so it's about time that we forget the idea of fairness it's only i I believe it's only an illusion right but not to say to discourage people and say hey let's not fight for um, equity or equality right let's do so knowing that even in fighting for equality there's going to be unfairness in there yeah right um so let us do what we can you know right now i can i can choose to go and study you know work hard on that right because i can control that yeah but i cannot control um where i come from where you come from that's true that's true you see, so you know. yeah. i agree with you there uh shaz you mentioned um yeah. uh the people in power and i want to ask you something before i even ask you something else about that as as black mm-hmm. africans do you feel that the people who represent us, the people in power, the people who have the ability to do certain things are failing to give back to society? Because, um, like, you know, we can't do it alone, surely. Yeah. We need each yeah. other. But do you think um, that those people are failing? And when we speak of people in power, are we talking just governmental power? No, we're just or talking are we about, talking we're not talking about actors within the, the, the field? Like, so, really strong CEOs or... Yeah, I, like society. I don't think I don't think society is just made out of governmental uh, actors. I feel like everyone who participates in society, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a government, mm. whether you have money, even as long as you're in a position that allows you to control something, you know, you you contribute. Okay, um, I think I'll start off with the governmental side of things. I think we can do so much better mm. to empower the people in our countries. Um, Especially, and this for me is just a, I want to put out a disclaimer. I'm very passionate about this, so I'm going to be biased. But I think that we can do better in investing into young girls' education, Mm. not because it's the moral thing to do, right? Sometimes when we speak of morality and charity, people close their ears, right? So maybe let's appeal to people's fact minds, right? In terms of research, the more you empower young girls, the higher the, the opportunity for countries to grow economically. That's a fact. The research has been done. Yeah. And I think governments are failing to make sure that they, they um, invest in that particular thing. Yeah. On the other side of things, apart from government, we are growing in this very crazy capitalist time. Mm. And capitalism doesn't really care about charity like that. Yeah. I could say that the people who have power in our society, who are maybe capitalist leaders, are failing to give back. But you can only fail if the obligation is on you. 
right? Sí. There's, there's no obligation on me to do a certain thing. You can't say I'm failing at it. You can't say I failed the maths test when I had no obligation to take it. Mm. And I think a lot of the times, um, their goal isn't necessarily to build the country and build and develop communities. Maybe their goal is to make profit for their own particular gain and to build a monopoly. And that's when it becomes a little bit difficult because how do we place a moral obligation on those people? It's like there was this debate on Twitter of is there a moral obligation on billionaires to give back money yeah. to the poor and the less fortunate? For me personally, I think there is. Yeah. Um, and I, please... I don't want to catch strays from your audience. Please don't come from me. <laughs> don't come from me. I'm not a billionaire, so I wouldn't know. But yeah. I think if we really look at the level of inequality that there is in the world, um, we will see that the vast majority of people that are at the bottom of the hierarchy are really suffering, but there is enough money in the entire world to, to reduce all this poverty that we have right now. Mm. But if we did that, that would stop the capitalist agenda from moving forward. From so moving I can forward. understand why they're not trying to do that um, as quickly as possible. But yeah. I, for those who are listening, who do have power to make someone else's life a little bit better, Please do that. Please mm. invest in someone's life. Look for the charities around you and just make sure you, you're you lifting up your community a little mm. bit. I mean, I, I agree with you there. Like, you know, just apply the idea of Ubuntu because there's a reason why our forefathers brought that up because they saw that there was a need for us to come together and be one. You know, um, I understand the Western agenda of capitalism, but... At the, at the same time, you can't help but appreciate the communist agenda uh, that was brought up. Um, you know, Leninism, um, you know, Stalinism, all these things. You, you have to appreciate them because as much as they didn't work in theory, in, in practice, on paper, the idea worked. And uh, you look at um, someone like, who's the, the founder of Ujama? Um, what's his name, man? The African guy, the president of Tanzania at that point, whatever his name is, you know? You understand that the reason why Ujama didn't work, the communitarianism doesn't work as a form of governance was because at the end of the day, capitalism does make sense. But we have to appreciate that communism, in theory, is a beautiful um, agenda. I mean, it works. It works in theory. It works on paper. Everyone should come together and we should grow as a community and not have one person stand out, you know. So in that in that way, it works. But anyway, uh, before I move on, uh, Big, do you have your two cents to add on? I'm more of a capitalist, eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, man? Do you? <laughs> let, let, let me explain why. The reason being, if I'm broke, I can't help anybody. Mm. Right? So I've got to get something, get somewhere, you know, build a business, invest in this and that. Right? And then when I get money, I can then be able to help everybody else, mm. right? I'll give you an example of Strive Masiwa, right? The guy does, um, what's it called, Highlight. Yeah. yeah. You see, he's got money, and yeah. he's helping people more than us poor people, you see? Mm. So I don't think it's bad that, you know, people have uh, a capitalistic mindset it's bad when people are not helping out when they absolutely i get you i mean um so 
Yeah, I think that's what I, I think about it. Yeah, don't, don't I agree get me. with you 100%. Yeah, we agree that don't get us wrong. Like, capitalism works as well. Like, you know, it's like it's like a soccer team. You can't have Ronaldo gain the same amount of money as, as Tino. You know, it doesn't make sense because he's more talented. He put more effort into it. So, I understand what you're saying. Uh, so, of course, you know, we, I still, I also still resonate with capitalism as well. But, you know, you must, you must appreciate the other ideologies that came up throughout history. And uh, there's a reason why they worked. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, we can go deeper into it because you know, this is my this is my favorite line of uh, conversation, but we weren't. Um, so I want to ask you, and the reason why I asked uh, Sharon and Beck to, for you guys to, to come over was I wanted to have a female perspective and a male perspective to this. Do you think that the way black text works for a woman is the same as how it works for for a man? Um, do you think that, that that's a thing, Sharon? Ah, um, I can't give a holistic answer because I myself am not a man and I don't really know what society demands out of men especially in African context for the most part we refer to you guys as providers uh, protectors you know Um, it really could be that there's more of a demand on you guys but I'll let Sheldon speak about that what I do want to say though from Shana's perspective um you know, when a woman gets married into another family, she's referred to as mutorwa, mm. right? Uh, loosely translated as, you've been taken you've into been taken. another family, yeah. right? And in doing that, you sort of relinquish your identity from the family where you're coming from. You take mm. up your new husband's name, you take up his new culture. All your kids are sort of in alignment with your husband's family and their identities right so as Mutorwa sometimes and I could be wrong but I I remember Mrs. Sonyama our old teacher explained this concept to me sometimes when it comes to inheritance issues I can't inherit anymore from my own family that I'm coming from because Mm. I'm now part of a new family Mm. and now that I'm in a new family it's really difficult for me to inherit too because I'm just a motorwa I'm not naturally part of you guys yeah so which family am I a part of and how do I use whatever influence that I have to to help the people around me um I think that if it's a really cultural perspective that could hinder the way that you pull back into your own family your previous family Mm. because now you're part of this new family Mm. i'm not married so i don't know how finance dynamics work but um i i think the demand is slightly less on women than it is on men when it comes to pouring back into your family or providing um, um, I mean, in this context. Um, you just brought up the idea of, you know, like, and, and I understand that, like, you know, women have always been neglected, especially in the African context, because now you're saying, I hadn't really looked at it like that, but you, you're actually very much right that once you leave your family, you're not regarded as part of that family, but at the same time, you really can't claim any inheritance from the, from the family that you've joined. So yeah. where do you stand in the world? Which place? And that's a bit messed up. Yeah. Mm, mm, okay. I'm, I'm not sure how that affects the way that we are able to contribute to yeah. our, our own previous families, but I've, I've heard stories of women secretly giving money to their families without consulting their husbands or without telling them. Um, yeah, there's stories of that that go around. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know the, the male perspective from Charlotte. Uh, but, yep. Um, Sharon just opened my mind to something that I in, uh, never thought of. But um, I think this is one of the reasons 
reasons why I've always said, you know, I wanted to be rich and wise, you know. That's because if if I've got enough money, why shouldn't we help my my wife's family when we can? Mm. You know? Um so but then again, if you don't have money, every dollar counts. You know where every dollar is coming from, you know where it's going, and it's difficult to help everybody when you're in such a situation. Um contributing to to our families is heavily on the on the sun because you know you know you're the head of the family yeah okay and as such you you're told you've got to work hard you've got to put in the hours you've got to do all these things right and sometimes it takes a toll on you right but ultimately it comes back to as as a people as as, as black people if we can help each other grow financially Right, there won't be need for anybody to support anybody. I always tell uh, some of my friends this that I will always support you and your business and anything that you do because I don't want to be at 60 and you're calling me to say, Hey, I need help. I can I have hundred dollars? I won't be able to keep helping you. Mm. I, I can help you now get to where you want to go so that you don't come back to me asking for money. Yeah, right. So, if yeah. we as a people can learn to support each other right learn about finances wealth creation and do away with not necessarily do away with this like texting but find ways of making it a positive thing more than a negative thing i think it will be better for everybody for the male child and for the female child as well Uh, great stuff guys um, you know, we've actually like <laughs> this conversation has gone for a long time. This is now an hour. Um, <laughs> but um, guys, no, this was very profound. Like, I love this conversation. This was an amazing conversation. Um, I actually lost track of time, so that's how you know we're actually having a good, a really, really uh, good and profound conversation. So I appreciate you guys. But I want to ask you just before we go, the last question. You know, um, what's your viewpoint on our culture? Um, comparing it to the history of it and comparing it to where we're going with it do you think that there's a future for our culture do you think it's dying down do you think that it will be revived again not just the Shona culture but the African culture itself mm. uh, that's a really good question I think it's really difficult to tell because we are especially us younger people are so far integrated into this modern world that a lot of the cultural things that we should have known we no longer really practice but i think if we understand the dynamic nature of culture it's not a static thing i would want to know first of all the culture that we have now what was it like a hundred years ago and what was that like 200 years ago i'm pretty sure this thing continues to evolve what we have to do is to think. And I, I know that sounds really basic, but we have to sift through the culture itself, pick out the things and the principles, traditions also, that we think are absolutely inherent to surviving a good life and continue to pass those things onwards. Um, and maybe let go of the things that we think are not so beneficial to us moving forward Mm. you know if you for yourself personally believe that nobola is not a thing that you want to practice in your family and you have your own reasons think it through and understand why you might not want to have that anymore but 
don't just blindly accept cultural practices um, without being very critical of them. And I know that's not a thing we're taught to do, especially in our cultures. We're taught to be very agreeable. We're taught to be very receptive without asking questions. Mm. We're taught not to look sometimes in their eyes or speak to them while we're standing, stuff like that. It's all based on respect, but we need to also open up our minds and and be critical of those things and say, why do we do that? Why do we do that, you know? and if you for yourself can understand which areas of your culture you think are absolutely important for you to carry on, carry them on, but with an understanding. Don't carry them on blindly and don't carry them on ignorantly. I know our culture will continue to evolve and change, and that's perfectly fine. Sometimes we grow this great attachment to our identity because we think identity and culture are linked, which is to some extent very true. But um, we also have freedom to reinvent that thing and build something that's a lot more uh, beneficial to ourselves and our children and their children's children, you know. Um, Find any oppressive stuff in your culture and take them out and replace them with some equality in there, equality of opportunity and, you know, just reinvent that thing for yourself. We have that freedom and we shouldn't shy away from using it to do what's right for ourselves. No, that's true. Very profound. Thank you so much, Big. Last word? Um, that's that's true, Sharon. Um, what was the question again? Um, what's your view on our culture? Uh, <laughs> compared to the history of it, um, how do you see us moving forward? Do you think it's going to be existent? Do you think it will be extinct in the next um, couple of years? No, I don't think it's going to be extinct. There are people who are committed to preserving it as it is. Yeah. But... Um, <clears throat> I, I often talk to my old man and I ask questions of the origins of certain things that we do as, as a family. Mm. You know, the reason being, I need to understand where we're coming from and how we got there and where we are, right? So that if I'm asking questions or if I'm looking at this thing and saying, okay, uh, uh, we used to do A, B, C, D because of A, B, C, D, right? Yeah. But if the reasons why we used to do these things are no longer relevant today, why should we keep doing the same thing, right? So, for example, uh, Lobola was a way of appreciating, you know, uh, the new family and whatnot, right? And unfortunately, just like everything that humans touch, we corrupt everything. Yeah. Right? Now it's uh, the way to get rich quick, you see? Mm. So, as a people who claim to be very literate, we should be asking ourselves, how did we get to where we are? Mm. What was the purpose of this thing? Is the purpose still the same or it's changed? Can we adjust how we do this thing so that it's, you know, it's relevant today for the people of today <clears throat> right so i think as a culture it's still going to be there because you know we like comfort and you know familiarity so anything that we're used to yeah we'll go with it without even asking yeah so yeah but i think for a generation i do hope we learn to question these things you know if we can whatever belief you have right if it can stand questions and interrogation then it's valid but if you find yourself not being able to give the opposing view to whatever belief you have then there's an issue 
definitely man so guys um thank you both for being on the show this this was this was good man this was very very good and i i think i i also have my i had my mind opened in in, in a number of things um from both your perspectives so i appreciate you guys um thanks for being on the trailblazer and thanks for season two man like welcome actually no thanks for, welcome to season two um <laughs> yeah hopefully we have a, a banger season three but season two is really specific we're just talking about african culture helping people understand what's happening with african culture and um where we're moving forward with it and you know just the different things that that are within the cultures themselves um <laughs> of course we're speaking from a zimbabwean perspective but then uh, i'm convinced that our cultures are very similar like our languages if you go to tanzania you have swahili swahili's um the, the origins of of um of, of african languages um you can hear certain words that are in Swahili, that are also in Shona. And then if you go down to South Africa as well, you find that Debele, Zulu, Osa, whatever they are, they are very similar to Shona itself. Um, and, you know, we just, we, 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 we are basically just one. We're just one, um, one people. So, um, yeah, that's basically it, guys. So thank you for being on the show. Shaz and Big, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys, yeah? Thank you for having us again. Yeah, man. We need just to have the most listens. Definitely, we need to bank this. Here. Like we need to make sure that we advertise it hard, 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 hard. So yeah, yeah. We had chance, so definitely. We'll definitely, though. She's, 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 she's the one. So yeah. Now thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys. Lovely. Take care. Yeah. Cool beans.